Yes, I'm Mikey Wilson, and this is DWMOD. You. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys Cade Cunningham. Let's roll. Down. Hut. 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 It's 2021, and Sweet Lou Whitaker is still not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. An atrocity. Ready? Aw, Lions fans drinking that Kool-Aid Super Bowl. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. Hut. Hut. The Dan Campbell era has officially started in Detroit, and I'm all in simply for the change in culture that it'll bring. Let the next guy worry about winning. I love it. Down. Good riddance to the greedy NCAA who decided they wouldn't share one penny of their billions in profits with players. Instead, they'll let name, image, and likeness pay the players. Bye, NCAA. You're no longer needed. Ready? Major League Baseball's sticky tack on the mound trials were nothing more than a witch hunt to hide the fact that it's home run or bust at the plate and no one can hit anymore. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. You're in the right place. You're listening to the right podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's DWMOD. That's Disagree With Me or Don't. We got a great show this week. We got a great guest this week. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this one. It was a lot of fun talking to this guy. But before I get to telling you about that, I just want to give a big shout out to the University of Michigan football team, Big Ten champions, Jim Harbaugh finally over the hump there. And I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, Mikey, you got to eat some crow now, though, because the guy did it. And, yeah, I was hard on him. I wasn't hating on him. I would always get flack for that. You're hating on him. I wasn't hating on him. I was just pointing out the obvious, like, just weren't getting over that hump, you know? And some of the things I said were 100% right, but that's not the point here. The point here is I didn't think that they would get it done, and they did. So I got to say I was wrong. I was flat wrong. They won it. Hats off. Congratulations. Always a Michigan fan, still a big Michigan fan, always been a huge Jim Harbaugh fan. You know, said it before on the show a hundred times. I I got his Indianapolis Colts captain comeback jersey hanging in my closet right now. Been a big fan of the guy for a long time. And believe it or not, nobody is more excited for that guy right now for overcoming what he's overcome and everything that's been said in the media over the last bunch of years than me. Because I was saying it too. It wasn't happening. We just weren't turning the corner. And now we did it. Big Ten champs and, and on to the playoffs. So congratulations to Jim. Congratulations to Michigan. And hard-fought win. It was nice to finally get over on Ohio State. Felt good. And now it's on to the playoffs. So let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about that. Michigan in a college football playoff coming up on New Year's Eve. Going to be a big game. And, and we draw Georgia, you know. We draw Georgia and Everybody was crying over the fact that, you know, we draw the number two seed and Bama jumped us and whatever and goes up to number one. And everybody was complaining, you know, we beat the number two team and, and, you know, we should move up to number one. If number one loses, number two should be number one. And that, you know, come on, man. Like, like I told you, man, I'm a Michigan fan. Always been a Michigan fan. I always root for the maize and blue in the Big Ten. Always root for the Big Ten, period. But you got to be realistic at some point, guys. You got to be honest with yourself and quit being a homer, you know? If number three beats number one and beats their doors off, which Alabama did, they beat Georgia's doors off, man. They took them out behind the woodshed and thumped them. You jump, historically. Look at any kind of rankings ever historically. Number three thumps number one, and, and number two beats, uh, I don't know, was Iowa even ranked when we beat them? 
I'm sorry, man. They're going to jump. That's how it is. And you better understand the money on the other side of things, too. You know, the college football playoff was not trying to have Georgia and Alabama play again right away. I know that's the giant conspiracy theory, but if you look at it objectively, uh, it's probably right. Bama jumps to number one. Cincinnati's at four. Leaves you a Michigan-Georgia matchup. So it is what it is. But here's where the disrespect comes into me. It's not that we didn't jump up to number one. The disrespect here is in the spread, man. I mean, Georgia's laying eight points to us. I mean, they got Michigan as eight-point underdogs to Georgia. Now, listen, Georgia's tough. Georgia's good. One of the best teams in the country, man. But they rode that number one all year long on that season-opening win against Clemson. Right? I think they beat Clemson 10-3 to in the season opener, and that was it. Georgia's arrived. They're legit. They just knocked off Clemson. Clemson is Clemson. Beat them in the opener, and then they rolled off victories after victories after that, and they just kind of held on up there at number one. Now, I'm not saying they weren't playing well and they're not good. They are. They were. They deserve to be number one. And their most impressive uh, stretch during that period was three wins in a row against Arkansas, Auburn, and Kentucky. All right, now that wasn't – extremely impressive because those teams are so good those teams are good Arkansas was good this year compared to years past for sure Auburn is Auburn they're good and Kentucky was really good too. turn the corner as a program really good teams uh wasn't impressive that they beat those three teams back to back as much as it was impressive to me how they did it I mean they thumped those three teams back to back they were beating them by you know damn near 20 points each game you know so that's impressive but I'll say this none of those teams that we mentioned had an answer for Georgia up front, on the defensive side of the ball especially. They had no answer up front. Those offensive lines couldn't get any sledding going against Georgia's uh, defensive line. Defensively up front, Georgia's solid, man. I mean, probably one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country up front. They're good, real good. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Michigan can answer that. Michigan is really good up front on offense. We saw that. Down the stretch, they really started clicking as a unit, that offensive line. And I'm really excited to see how they're going to look against an SEC team of the caliber of Georgia right now. I think they're playing well, Michigan. I think they're confident. I think they're really sparked on defense by Ian Hutchinson. I think this is a good football team. And I think this is going to be a better game than most people think. I think everyone's got it in their mind that this is like the Big Ten representatives in the past outside Ohio State winning the inaugural playoff have not fared well have quite frankly gotten bombed by SEC teams in the playoffs. And I think the line here is showing us they're expecting more of the same. And I'm just not expecting that out of this team, especially by the way I saw them come out in the Big Ten Championship game game against Iowa. You know, you expect that that relaxed game, that trap game, that, you know, you just beat Ohio State for the first time in 100 fucking tries, I think. And, you know, you, you expect that roller coaster, that come down, and they didn't do that, man. They rolled into that Big Ten championship game and played like they've been playing. I think they're on a mission. You know, they are on a mission, and they are ready to roll. I think they're going to be ready to play. So you can go ahead and give me Michigan and the eight points. I'll take the eight all day. And I think Michigan can win this game. As a huge Lions fan, I'm most excited to see how Aiden Hutchinson is going to look against probably – the best competition he's played all year outside Ohio State, and he looked pretty dominant against Ohio State. But I'm really anxious to see how he's going to look against this uh, SEC Georgia front. Really excited to watch that. I can't wait. But if we're laying down bets, give me Michigan, give me the eight. And if we're laying down predictions right now, I'm going to take Michigan. I know I picked against them in big games the last bunch of years and, you know, have not been wrong on that. I'm going with them this time. 
I'm going to take Michigan to beat Georgia. And then, that, and then you know, that leads us to who they're going to play. And the next game is Bama and Cincinnati. And the spread's 13 and a half. And I'm going to tell you right now, man, take Bama. Take Bama to cover. Take Bama to cover. And I'm not trying to dog on Cincinnati because they're a group of five school because I think that's bullshit. They're undefeated. They're a group of five. They deserve to be in this playoff. They do. And they're a good football team, especially in the secondary. They're a good football team. Um, that being said, they didn't show it a lot this year. Not like last year. They didn't show it a lot this year. A lot of close games against schools they should not have had close games against. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's you're so good, you're on autopilot in that conference, you know, you're better than everybody else and you're just kind of coasting. I don't know. But I don't know if they're going to be up for the the caliber of talent that Alabama's going to be throwing on them, especially after watching what Alabama did to Georgia. And I'm telling you right now, I am 100% putting my Cincy hat and gear on and rooting for Cincy to win that game. I would love a group of five team to knock somebody off. I think it would be great for college football for that to happen. That being said, man, I don't think it's going to be this game. Uh, take Bama, lay in the points, and they'll roll. And I think that sets us up for a Michigan-Alabama national championship game, guys. And how exciting will that be? How exciting will that be? This this Alabama team, they're good. I mean, I just said it. They thumped Georgia pretty bad, but they're not as good as we've seen in the past, right? I mean, they don't look infallible. They don't look unbeatable, you know? I think that's a game that, again, Michigan could be in if they come out and play. And, and here's the difference. Here's the difference. When you have a good team from the Big Ten, like that, that first Ohio State team that won the playoff, and you can line up with the big boys up front, and you can run the ball, and you can hold the football. Now, Bama likes to do that too. But if you can do that with them, you got a chance to beat them. You know, when you're going to come out and try to out-athlete them, you're not going to win that game. But when you know you can line up and thump for four quarters and keep it close, you got a shot. And I think that's exactly what this Michigan team can do. I'll expect the spread for Michigan-Bama to be who somewhere around 9 to 10 points, and I'll take it. I'll take Michigan in the points, and I'm, I'm going to – I'm going to be a homer like the rest of y'all this time around. I'm just going to get behind them. I'm just going to try to keep all that negativity out of the air. I don't care about being right right now. I'm just trying to keep things positive, man. Keep things positive. Keep that negativity down. I'm not putting it out there in the universe. I'm putting it out there like this. Michigan over Bama, national champs. And we'll see. Go blue. Yeah. Now, while we're on the subject of college football, I got to jump in here right now and talk a little bit about uh, a big, big deal, big, big story in college football this week. Uh, Travis Hunter is the country's number two overall recruit. Some people had him number one. Some people have him number two. Anyway, this kid is one of the two best high school football players in the country. He passed up on every single Power 5 school that wanted him, and they all wanted him. He chose to go to Jackson State. Deion Sanders bringing him in primetime. Jackson State University, man. HBCU couldn't have been a bigger story out there right now and I got to tell you right now I'm excited about it like I'm really 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 happy about it because you've heard me talk about it on this show before uh, you've heard me talk about it if we've got, grabbed a beer somewhere in a bar before you've heard me talk about it for the life of me for the life of me I will never understand why any minority football players coming out of high school will consider playing for known racist coaches or go play football at historically racist uh, universities 
Now, I'm not saying there's, you know, they're all like that. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying we are well aware of certain ones that are. We are well aware of how deep-rooted it is in a lot of cities. And I'm not going to mince words here. I'll, down south, where it is deep-rooted. And, you know, sometimes you've got a giant fan base of some really good people. But sometimes you've got a giant fan base down there of some two-faced people with tickets sitting in that stadium who are cheering for all the minorities that play for their college, but 15 minutes down the road, if they saw them stranded in a car, they for sure wouldn't help or, you know, <laughs> might be looking to make sure they get out of town quicker. You know what I mean? That's just reality, all right? I'm not mincing words at all. That's reality. That's how it is. Now, I understand that the way things used to be, sometimes I understand. You may feel pressure that you you got to go to a school like that because you have to get your exposure and you know those are the ones that are going to be on TV and it's maybe it's close to home and you know you want to stay close to home for some reason I understand there are factors now I'm not dogging anybody that has done that in the past I'm just saying it's great to see this freedom open up where maybe now they don't have to do that anymore maybe now they can start taking a look at this thing and saying you know I'm not doing that I'm not doing that and we did see a lot of change in the last few years in college football especially in the south we saw some big changes in Mississippi, certain things being taken off of the, the courthouse, certain things being taken off of uniforms and things like that. Those are big steps. Long time coming. I'm not trying to pat anybody on the back for finally being politically pressured into doing the right thing, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's been done. you know. And there has been some great strides, but now it's great to see something like this because they don't have to do it anymore, man. And all thanks to name, image, and likeness. So I think thanks to name, image, and likeness, man. These kids can get on social media. They can make their money where they want to make their money. And they don't have to be tied down to playing a certain institution who, you know, are full of a lot of good people that have their back and want to help them. And also full of a lot of people that wouldn't have the time of day for them if they couldn't play football. That's a fact, man. That's just a fact. So congrats to Jackson State University. Congrats to Travis Hunter for making that choice. It's a bold choice, young man. It's a great choice. I think it shows some great leadership at a young age. Uh, congratulations to primetime Deion Sanders. Way to go, man. Uh, it's a, I think it's a very uplifting situation, the whole thing. And this name, image, and likeness thing, man, it's been a long time coming for something like this, you know. But all these top coaches now – just blatantly on TV making statements against it, dogging it, hating it. They can't stand it. They're all on TV crying now that now there's tampering. These are words out of their own mouth. It's not about education anymore. These are words out of their own mouth. There's just a whole nother level of things we have to deal with now. These are the things these coaches are saying, like Dabo Sweeney was just on TV talking about it. Dabo Sweeney was talking about how it's not it's not right now. It's not about coming to a school and putting in the work and it's no longer about, you know, this and that. Now there's all these other factors you have to deal with. And and he went on and on about all this name, image and likeness money. And now, you know, it's you got agents in the street talking name, image and likeness to kids and it's unregulated and it's all off the board now. And, and I, this has gotten the furthest away from education as it can be. This is no longer about education. Are you? kidding me Dabo Sweeney come on man put that back in the pipe just stop with that he's upset because now there's going to be some real competition to get all the best recruits in it ain't about your boosters and your money anymore that can bring in these kids because now they can get it wherever they want and they can go play wherever they want 
and maybe they don't have to go all the way across the country to come play a Clemson to get the things they want anymore. So now you've got a level playing field, and you don't like that because you're going to start losing players to the other team. But please, please don't come at me with this is no longer about education. Let me tell you something about education. Uh, Clemson's collective GPA on the football team is 2.5. It ain't about education, Dabo. All right, it's great you can get some of these kids a degree, and I'll give them this. They have a decent graduation rate, but let's stop pretending that this is about education, okay? Let's let's just stop. It's finally a level playing field where the kids are holding some cards now, and they get to do a few things, and the old system don't like it. I mean, Lane Kiffin, too, was complaining about it on TV, and his biggest beef was the tampering. Well, now there's going to be all kind of tampering with players. There's going to be all kind of tampering with players now, Lane Kiffin said. Oh, is there, Lane? I don't know, like like there is with the coaches maybe? Hmm, is that kind of like the same thing as like, I don't know, being at Tennessee and then taking a phone call and bouncing for USC? I mean, that's not any kind of tampering and leaving. And Oh, but you get to do it for millions and millions of dollars, and now we're upset that these kids are going to be able to do it for chump change because it's going to upset your recruiting. You're going to tell me you're upset about the tampering. You ain't in the transfer portal? You didn't just land a huge kid right across the street from Auburn to come play for you out of the the transfer portal? I mean, come on, man. Just stifle it with that, man. Talking out of two mouths and nobody wants to hear it. Get on board. This is what's happening. You ain't going to change it. Quit crying about it. And ridiculous crying. Tampering. Lane Kiffin's talking about tampering. I mean, come on. I mean, anybody complaining about tampering or or any of that stuff and money and kids and it being involved in it, anybody that's complaining about this kind of stuff, just take a look at the coach's carousel at the end of this season, man. I mean, in the middle of the night, people were jumping ship. I mean, I, some spouses woke up and their husbands just weren't into bed because they were in another city with another job the next morning and nobody knew about it. I mean, come on, man. And I'll tell you another thing on the back door that I secretly think is fueling some of these public comments, because what, what would you have to gain from some of these public comments? I think some of this stuff is being fueled by the conferences, by the powers that be, like, say, in the SEC. I think they're smart enough to see what's coming on down the road, and they want to get out in front of it. And these conferences are worried about the value of their TV deals. That's what they're worried about, because I'm telling you right now, um, you can see how social media and the way it is with this new generation, how it influences uh, viewership. How, I mean, just look at like uh, the Logan Paul and the boxing and all that shit, right? I mean, this guy couldn't box his way out of a paper bag. He's having crushing sales, millions upon millions of dollars in sales for these pay-per-views to watch somebody box who can't even box. Why? Because he's famous on Instagram. What do you think is going to happen when, say, you know... Um, a kid like Travis Hunter is dominating at Jackson State University, becomes a huge internet star and sensation. You think they're going to want to try to get some of those games on TV? Yeah, they are. And now some of those dollars for putting games on TV are going to start shifting hands to maybe some other schools. You know, I'm not saying they're going to get some huge payday like the SEC, but I could see down the line somewhere, and these people are smart, they see it coming. I can see down the line somewhere. Uh, CBS or somebody coming to SEC and being like, hey, you know, our deal's up. We got to get a new deal. And quite frankly, there's a lot of product out there now, and everybody's watching a lot of product, and our ratings ain't what they used to be. So that's going to cost them money. 
It's going to cost them money. You're going to wind up with a bunch of mega, mega internet stars who are then going to become college football stars, and that's where the ratings are going to be. And that no longer is going to be tied to the powers that be in these conferences and these teams. And I think they see that, and they're trying to get out in front of it. It's my own personal opinion, but I think it holds some water. And before I leave this subject alone, I just got to say it one more time for the record. I told you so, NCAA. I told you so. You know, I was saying it five, six, seven years ago when I laid out my plan for what the NCAA should do about paying these players. They better quit fighting it. They better quit fighting it. And I laid out that plan where they should have been took some of the profits, and I'll keep it short here. I'm going to get long-winded on it again. But my, my thing was they're making, you know, a trillion dollars a year or whatever on college football. Start putting like 15, 20% of that aside, which is a big chunk of money, and come up with a plan where you're paying kids for the season, you're paying them by practice, you're paying them by games that they play and start, whatever. Come up with a formula where these kids are getting paid and that money goes into an account for them and upon graduation, they get that money. You line these kids up with that and, and you are giving them incentive to stay in school and graduate. Now, some of them want to leave and play in the NFL. I get that. There'll be a 10-year window on it. You can leave, go play in the NFL, you know what I'm saying, or, or what have you, but most of them won't. Like 98% of all these kids that play in college aren't going to have a 10-year career and aren't even going to play in the NFL. So at the end, it promotes them sticking around to get their, their education, get that degree, help them with the rest of their life, and they walk out of school. And under this plan, I was talking like, you know, you graduate and then you're getting handed $750,000 in an account that's been managed for you along, that money's been going into, and you get paid that upon getting your degree. Now, on top of that, I said... Something like that needs to be done. So the NCAA, you come up with how you want to do it, but you need to pay them out of your own profits. You pay them out of your profit, out of your pocket, because then you could control it, and then you could also give these kids name, image, and likeness, because let's face it, people would say 750 grand when you graduate ain't shit, billions have been made, and that's all you got. I get that argument. That's why I also said, so at the same time, you open name, image, and likeness up to them, but because you're paying them, the NCAA is still overseeing all this, you could put limits on the name, image, and likeness in their first three years of college, not monetary limits, but like as far as much time, maybe some monetary limits, I don't know, but you would put the limits on the name, image, and likeness until they were junior, seniors, it could be unlimited at that point, but then that would have kept all the jumping ship and different teams and my collar my car dealership can give you more name image likeness money than the Alabama car dealership can. You could have maybe avoided all that and still been in control and paid the kids and the kids would get paid twice out of this deal. You know, they could have done all that and kept themselves involved, but you know what they did? And I called it back then. They're not going to do anything smart like that. They got together and they decided, and I told you right here on the show a while back, they were going to do it and they did it because it made sense to the people in the room who are greedy. Why should we give them any of our profit money when we can let strangers and everybody else pay them? If we just give these kids name, image, likeness, someone on the outside's paying them. The car dealership's paying them. Snickers is paying them. Pepsi's paying them. Instagram's paying them. That ain't our money. Let them pay the players. Won't cost us a nickel. That'd be great. Well, guess what? You were like that old parable of the dog with the bone who wanders over to the lake and sees his reflection in the water and he sees a dog holding the bone and he barks at that dog because he wants that bone too and splash, you lost yours. The NCAA is done. You cut your own throat with your greed. 
You didn't want to give up a penny. You thought it was so smart to let somebody else pay him. Now you're done. And I couldn't be more happy about it. Don't get me wrong on this. I wasn't saying I wanted the NCAA to be in control. I was just saying, like, from a front office perspective, like, this is the way we handle this. And and they didn't. And they will be gone. These mega conferences are coming. The NCAA is not going to be – they're going to they're gonna be gone. You know, they may still stick around college basketball and, you know, soccer, baseball, whatever. But as far as college football and that money machine, they no longer need the NCAA. What do they need them for now? What do they need them for now? It's done. Cut your own throat, and I couldn't be happier. And just to clarify before all the geniuses want to come after me on Twitter and be like, oh, you're, you're stupid. You didn't think it out. Like, they can just give $750,000 to every kid that played college football who graduates. And No, that wasn't it. I told you. I just gave you a shortened version. There's a way to get to those numbers, and it has to do with Division One, and certain programs will get more money than other programs would. It would have to do with what kind of money you're putting into the coffers, the percentage you get out of the coffer will go into a kid's account, which would then be put in with money management and would gain as if it were in the market or something over that time there's a whole formula involved in it because it's an in-depth thing so please spare me the you know you're so smart you're gonna shoot holes in my logic there i put that whole thing together a while ago i was giving you a shortened version so zip it up and understand the point i was laying down disagree with me or don't that's how it works and now speaking of name image and likeness while we're on the subject here guys i mean how long is it going to be until the most delicious beverage company in the world uh fago in Detroit, Michigan, is going to get themselves a college athlete. I mean, when is it coming? Because everybody knows that that everybody's drinking Fagos. Everybody's got a Fago pop on the weekend when they're watching a football game. You got your better made chips. You got your Fago. You're ready for the game. And if you don't have that, you ain't ready for the game. All right. Now I just want to know who is better made chips and who is Fago going to start putting on the bags and the bottles. We want to know. Maybe it'll be Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, I think that'd be pretty smart probably sell quite a few chips that way might sell a few maize and blue beverages that way you know so for the kids give them their college stars on their pop bottles give them their college stars on the potato chip bags and for the adults will we be in the kitchen mixing ourselves up yes that's right a delicious brass monkey am i right have you guys tried these things if you're listening to the show i've been telling you the official beer of the dwmod podcast old english 800 you mix that with a splash of orange juice, you got yourself a brass monkey, and forget the mimosas, guys. That's the tailgate beverage of choice. Love it. Going to have me some for the championship games. Ready to go. And now it's time for quick hits. Hey, as a Lions fan, I couldn't be more excited right now about possibly getting that number one pick and taking Aiden Hutchinson with that number one pick. Now, I know all the reports out there are saying Thibodeau. I know that, okay? I saw the kid firsthand out here. We played against him, my son's high school team. We played against him at Oaks Christian out here in L.A. I'm telling you, the kid's good. He's a generational talent. But here's why I would take Aiden Hutchinson. To me, Aiden Hutchinson has that attitude that people feed off of. He's got what I'll call that that J.J. Watt effect. When he gets out on the field, man, guys just feed off of him and his motor and that's a Dan Campbell guy. That's what Dan Campbell is building right now in Detroit. And I got to tell you, we will know come draft time, and we'll dive into this when we do our draft episode, but we will know come draft time how much pull Dan Campbell really has in the room and how united that front office and that coaching staff are. Last draft, it looked like they were really together on everything. And if they still are and they're moving forward with Dan Campbell's product, it'll be Aiden Hutchinson. 
that's a Dan Campbell guy, okay? And if it's not, and if it's Thibodeau, then I, I would guarantee that that was not Dan's pick and that was the front office pick. And I'm not saying that would be wrong, but I'm excited about getting Aiden Hutchinson. Let's get the kid from Dearborn Divine Child into the Honolulu Blue and Silver. Hey, let's talk a little New England Patriots and Mac Jones and Bill Belichick here, hey? Right? I mean, I had them in my preseason show you listened to. I, I had them to make the playoffs this year. I liked them to make the playoffs this year. And I think they're going to because right now they're looking at being the number one seed. They could possibly be the number one seed coming out of the AFC right now. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is straight up Bill Belichickonomics. This Belichickonomics right here, guys. I mean, it was only a matter of time before he started filling some holes. Last year, didn't have the quarterback he wanted. A bunch of guys sat out COVID for defense on the defensive side of the ball, sat out for COVID. Those guys are back. Bill's got a quarterback who listens to him, does what he wants to do in his offense, controls the football. Hell, they just won a game a couple weeks ago. They threw the ball three damn times. That's a team that can win. When you can run the ball, play defense, and take it on the road, you can win. And the Patriots are back. So everybody who thought that they fell off, please, that's Bill Belichickonomics. I'm telling you that right now. There was also an interesting fact that since he's taken over as head coach of the New England Patriots, their turnover differential leads the league by more than 100 turnovers. They are 100 turnovers better than every other team in the league since he's been the coach, the turnover differential. That's nuts. Hey, let's slide back to college football really quickly just to talk about awards, right? So we all know Aiden Hutchinson got invited up for the Heisman and all that. That was great. A lot of us feel like Willie Anderson Jr. probably should have been invited up there as well. I mean, his stats were great. But I'm more concerned with talking about that Doak Walker award, right? Uh, a lot Now, the Doak Walker winner uh, was Kenny Walker from Michigan State, right? And, and rightfully so. I think the kid deserved the award. I do. I think he probably deserved an invitation to, to the Heisman Trophy presentation as well. Um, he may have. It's a good argument for that. But how are you going to leave Lou Nichols from Central Michigan University at home? He ain't even mentioned as a finalist. This kid led the nation in rushing. Led the nation in rushing. And sans uh, a Northern Illinois miracle at the end of the game, Central Michigan was a point from going to the MAC championship behind this kid who led the nation in rushing. Now, again, I'm fine with Kenny Walker winning the award. He's playing in the Big Ten, big-time competition. Took a three-win team, put him on his back. I think they won 10 this year. They did a great job, that, and that's great. But let me just compare Walker's numbers and the totals rushing in his last five games of the season against Lou Nichols' numbers and his you know total rushing yards in the last five games of the season. Now, Kenny Walker had 1,636 yards, 6.2 average, 18 touchdowns. Okay, receiving 136 yards, one TD. In his last five games of the season, Walker did 197 yards, 136, 143, 25 yards, 138. Those are his numbers for his last five games. Now, here's Lou Nichols on the season. 1,710 yards, 5.5 average, 15 touchdowns, 300 receiving yards, putting him over 2,000 total yards, Two touchdowns receiving, and his last five games, 192 yards, 163 yards, 215 yards, 219 yards, 194 yards. I mean, his last five games of the season, he damn near had four 200-yard games. Okay? 
The kid's not a finalist? Come on, man. Come on. Detroit got your back, Lou Nichols. I'm telling you right now, it's Detroit versus everybody. Watch out for Lou Nichols next year. You know what, Fago? You ought to put that kid on a pop. I'm going to give one more shout-out to another guy up at Central Michigan University. First-team All-American offensive lineman, Bernhard Raymond. Uh, this, the, the Austrian wonder, big six-foot-seven fella, probably going to be a first-round draft pick. Came in from Austria to play for the Chips. Like I said, uh, first-team All-Mac, first-team All-American. And this is the one that I love because this, this you don't see. This award here, you do not see happen. And I'm more than happy to see this happen because it's about time these guys get some recognition up front on the offensive line. Bernhard Raymond was named by Pro Football Focus the MAC Offensive Player of the Year. The MAC's Offensive MVP, Offensive Lineman. Big shout out to my man Bernhard. Nothing but good things coming for you in NFL, my man. Keep it rolling. Now, before we get to our guest, my man Jim Starr from the original American Gladiators. Yes, that's right. The original American Gladiators. Jim Starr. You Google his picture. You look him up. You know who he is. Can't wait to play that for you. What a great interview coming up right around the corner here. But real quick, guys, we got to get to two quick knock it off points. We got to tell people, you know the segment. It's time to knock it off. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. Our first one is, again, a problem with the sports talk media world and just driving talking points so they have something to argue about so we can watch people on TV argue. And they're still going on and on about Brady versus Belichick. Well, was it Brady or was it Belichick? Because Brady left and won the Super Bowl, and then Belichick didn't even make the playoffs. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? I can't listen to people argue about this anymore because it's stupid media drivel just made up so you have something to talk about in a 24-hour news cycle. Anybody with a brain that's a football fan is any kind of intelligent understands that it was the marriage of the both of them. We understand that. It was Brady and Belichick together. That was great. No one more responsible than the other. So just knock it off. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. Yeah, our next point is the, the college coaching carousel this offseason, man, right? I mean, these guys jumping ship here, there, and whatever. Uh, that's fine. Make your money, guys. Go do your thing. But when you get on TV, stop telling everybody, well, I had to do what's best for my family. When they ask you, did you tell your teammate that you were leaving? Did you tell anybody you were leaving? The kids that you recruited and now you're gone in the middle of the night? Did you talk to them? Instead of ducking that question with, well, I had to do what's best for my family. Uh, I mean, come on, man. Just instead of doing that, why don't you just be honest with us? It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what's best for my family. Yeah, because if you would have just stayed at Oklahoma and made millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, that would be bad for your family. The only thing that was best for your family was the need to go to USC. I'm not saying you shouldn't have done it, but I'm saying spare me on that. Spare me on I had to do what's best for my family. Your family was doing fine. You did it because you wanted to do it, you know? And, and furthermore, on that point, have a little cooth, man. What's the matter with going to talk to your guys you recruited? I mean, Kelly's known for this, bouncing in the middle of the night and his own players don't even know it. Did it at Central, did it at Cincinnati, just did it at Notre Dame. He's known for this. You know what I mean? Like, just have some class, man. These kids understand now. Their name, image, likeness. They're bouncing around their transfer portal. Just go tell them, guys, I got an opportunity to take this other job. I love you all. Thanks for helping me get it, and I'm going. I mean, just have some respect for the guys. But please, my family, knock it off. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. 
The next one that kind of chapped me a little bit, maybe I'm being picky here, was the Kevin Durant scored 50 points the other night, and all I heard on every radio show was, Kevin Durant is now the fourth player in the history of the NBA. Only four guys ever have had a 50-point game on at least three different teams. What? Who? What? Who cares? In a day and age where we pointed out a few episodes back that 50-point games are at an all-time high, people are scoring 50 points like crazy, nobody's allowed to play defense, and a guy like KD, who's the greatest scorer in the history of the league, playing in an era where you jump teams and change teams more than you change socks after the game, has scored 50 on three different teams? So what? Great. Good for him. Great score. I'm glad he scored 50, but what's with the... On the third guy on four different teams when the moon was around Mars and on a Saturday, on a Saturday night. Shut up. Just knock it off. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. And my last knock it off, this one's really close to my heart, and man, did it have me heated. If you watched that ACC championship game, you saw Heisman Trophy finalist, that quarterback Pickett from Pitt, take off on that run. And then my man faked that slide, and everybody stopped, and then he kept running. 55 more yards or whatever and scored the touchdown i was hot Ooh, i was like you son of a bitch there's a oh boy i was hot i was mad at him a hey, tip of the cap man that was creative you got away with it that's being a competitor that's fine i can laugh about it now but when i was watching it i was off the couch i was like are you kidding me Every one of those players, especially in college, know that if they hit him when he's sliding like that, it's going to be a targeting, and they're going to be ejected from the championship game for that. And every one of them, as soon as he started to go down, backed off and stopped, and then he took off running. Now hold up. We got an unwritten contract here so that you can stay safe and healthy and play the game as a quarterback. I'm going to get kicked out of the game if I hit you. And then you faked it on me and ran it? I'm telling you, I was shocked with what a blowout that game ended up being, that nobody from Wake Forest took a shot at him for it. I mean, you son of a bitch. Oh, Pickett, you tricky. Well, they changed the rule now, so y'all can knock it off. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. Well, guys, that's roundhousing on current events right there, keeping you moving into this new year with what's happening in sports. We'll keep it coming to you just like that. And now it's time to get to the man of the moment, Mr. Jim Starr. From American Gladiators. You know you watch this show every Saturday morning when you were growing up. I know everybody in my neighborhood over in Detroit. We were all up and down Appleton with trash cans playing Powerball. I mean, this thing took the world by storm. And it was a lot of fun talking to Jim about it, man. Really, really nice dude. We reached out to him. Couldn't have been more happy to come on the show, talk with us about all the stuff. Great dude. Uh, you'll just see through the interview, man. Just a guy with a great personality, upbeat, you know, type of guy that's just like always moving forward, trying to take on the next thing. Just a really great dude, man. We talked about, you know, his college days playing football, his time in the NFL, uh, how he wound up getting the job with American Gladiators with this little upstart show they were trying to pick up. You know, at the time they had no idea what they had. But we get into that. It's a pretty funny story as well. We'll also get into talking about why he was in town. He's in town right now because they're filming a documentary for Netflix. We get into talking about that, about American Gladiators. We'll all be watching that. There's no doubt about it. And pretty good little nugget, little tidbit in there about the WWF in the 80s. And Mr. McMahon having a conversation with a few of the gladiators. You'll want to hear about that, no doubt about it. Also, at the end of this interview, stick around and listen, man, because Jim is talking about his newest venture, and it has to do with your cell phone, and it has to do with your health, and it's 
It's mind-blowing, man. I thought it was a huge, huge big deal. It's pretty cool. Anyway, here we go. Sitting down with the Jim Starr from American Gladiators. All right. Big Mike. All right, Jim Starr. How you doing, man? What's up, brother? I'm doing well. Uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me on your uh, awesome podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's great to have you on the show, man. American Gladiators, Laser. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, a good time. that's a good time, man, doing that, I bet, huh? Yeah, it was pretty good timing, too, because uh, uh, I, my wife and I, we've been living part-time in Bend, Oregon. We're back here in California this week uh, as we're getting to uh, film this week um, a documentary series, a doc series with Netflix uh, about American Gladiators, Where Are They Now?, uh, which is just great timing for the podcast. So, the, um, you know, it, the show started back in 1989. It's been 31 years right in there uh, since the show aired, and there's still a following, which is truly incredible when you think about it. Um, and to be able to relive a little bit of your life, you know, it came out of nowhere. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that on how sure. I ended up uh, as laser on American Gladiators. But it, 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 to me, it blows me away because I just looked at having a job, right? And it happened to be on TV to be able to excel at, you know, at a, at a, at a sport that showed your athletic ability. Unfortunately, I, I got hurt with the, in the NFL, but um, you know, 30 years later, the, Netflix wants to do a documentary. Yeah. It's, it's such a blessing, right? I mean, really fortunate if you think about it. Oh, for sure. I, a ton of people are going to watch this thing. I'm excited for it. Like you said, like it started in 89. So for me, like I was like probably like sixth, seventh grade. Right. You know what I mean? So like for me, transitioning from grade school into high school, the years that the show was super popular. And I mean, we played it up and down the block in Detroit. We'd be playing yeah. it in backyards, you know, for right. a basket of tennis balls. We try to do, we try to recreate all the games, man. Yeah. You know? a, a, a lot of people did. They recreated, you know, in college we used to get uh, back then we really didn't have social media. Right. So yeah. uh, we didn't have cell phones. We had pagers. Computers just started to hit the market. Uh, and it was all grassroots marketing. We, it just word of mouth, how, how the show just became, a brand new show and then within two years people all over the world were watching it when the show ended in 97 i believe we were in 60 some odd countries that that's just it's mind-boggling to think that that the show ended up where it was without social media without advertising dollars because there was no budget they didn't run commercials it was just word of mouth that, that's just it's really a phenomenon when you think about it yeah, because like you pointed out, like social media aside, um, things weren't really global back then, you know, like That's even right. like athletes on a major scale, like, you know, Ali was before that, but he was like the only global athlete you could think of. And then like at the time this was out, maybe like Hulk Hogan was the only like, and Jordan, Michael Jordan were like yeah. global, but outside that things really weren't global. So when this went global, that's like, that was a big deal, man. It was a big deal, a big deal. And not even realizing that, you know, we were considered the first reality TV show uh, in the market. Uh, even today, they say that we were the first reality TV show without knowing we were really doing reality TV, right? I mean, right. and it was a it was an authentic show in terms of real competition. It wasn't like WWF or, you know, even those those guys take a beating. Yeah, um, it wasn't staged. It, it was what you saw. Um 
And in the second year, I think it might have been the second or third season where they, the producers came in and said, hey, just be who you are. Just don't try to live it up for the camera. Just, just be your authentic self. And it really opened American Gladiators up to a new platform, basically, that we could be who we wanted to be. Sure. If we wanted to ham it up in front of the you know cameras like Nitro did many times, yeah, right, right. Uh, but it was just <laughs> authentic, real live events that it wasn't staged. People got injured. It was true yeah. competition, and it was just it was just an awesome show. It really was. Yeah, for sure. And I, I would like I would ask you this about when they freed it up because when you go back and watch some of that the earlier stuff like you said when they're trying to push the monikers on you guys and try to have that like you, you brought up wrestling like have that wwf type of promo feel to it all yep. and they're pushing you into these personas when they freed it up and we're like now nah, just be who you are we're catching on be yourself that that had to free you up competitively too because you're not yep. out there trying to be somebody you just got to cut loose and that's right because that i'm not a real talker right i mean i'm not you know, when it comes to competition, you know, I turn it on and, you know, I played linebacker in college and in the NFL, and there's a switch that goes off where you just, you want to kick their ass. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the bottom line. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden you have to, the competition's over and you had to do an interview. Well, it really threw you off because you didn't know whether to ham it up for the camera, say things that just weren't appropriate maybe as your personality sure. Sure. And you are so spot on because that second, third year, they just let us be who we were. It was just so invigorating to know that I didn't have to be something that I was not. Right. 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 Like, like football. Very so true. Like throwing you out there and, and telling like if you were a linebacker, you know, and then they tell you, well, go play tight end. Well, you're a good enough athlete. You're right. going to be able to do it. But the whole time you're in your head about being a tight end, you know, when they put you at linebacker, you cut loose. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. You are so spot on with some of the things you're saying, because I, I can relate to that. Because when I went up to Canada with Toronto, they they had me playing inside linebacker and they had me for a couple of games go to outside. The whole time I'm thinking about playing yeah. rather than just yeah. being the athlete that you are. And I was thinking more about outside linebacker than I was playing the position. And it really screws you up. You're yeah. just not, you're, you're not true to yourself. Yeah. You, know? you get in your head and, and you expect a certain level of performance out of yourself. And then right. you really get in your head when you can't perform at that level, because you're thinking about too many things to try and perform at that level at that position. It's just all, yeah. You know, and then they put you back in the middle and then you're like, bang, I got it. Bang, I got it. I'm going to kick yeah. some ass now. So that's it too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mike, let me ask you, did you play ball in your time somewhere? I did. I did. Out of high school, I went to Central Michigan University. Are you from California? How'd you end up in Michigan? No, no. I'm I'm in California now, but I'm originally from Detroit. Oh, you're from Detroit. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I'm from Detroit. So we moved out here about probably about seven years ago. Did yeah. you? Are yep. you are you living out in Calabasas or no, no, no. We can't nope. I don't get money like that. <laughs> <laughs> no way man now let me let me back that up a bit now a lot of people might not know that so you're you're from montana yeah uh, literally mr montana right yeah i born and raised in montana I, st I still consider montana my home i you know i have all my best friends there i have family that live there still my mom sister and brother and um it's just a it's a really neat place to grow up and to be able to call home and uh it, it's it's pretty close to my heart because when I hear Montana, I perk up, right? It's like, 
probably like what with you with Detroit, right? So absolutely, absolutely, it's my hometown, and uh, uh, I'll be a little biased about Montana. So oh, yeah, no doubt. Now, in high school, you were a big-time football player. Like, as you were saying, you're really good getting recruited by all kinds of schools. Yep. And uh, you played at uh, Montana State, correct? I did. I, I played high, uh, tailback in high school. Uh, I was a 200-pound uh, tailback. I was the number one rusher in the state of Montana, and I had quite a few scholarship opportunities outside of Montana, but decided to stay within Montana, in the boundaries of Montana, and I was recruited, had full right scholarships to the University of Montana, which is the Grizzlies and Montana State, and went on the recruiting trip to Montana and at MSU and loved it and became a, a Bobcat. And I was recruited as a fullback because I was 200 pounds. And the first uh, two years I played and started uh, as a fullback. And then we got a new coach in my junior year by the name of Doug Graber, who came from the East Coast, and we had winter conditioning, and he saw the mentality, and he, after two weeks, he, he asked me, he said, hey, Jim, I know your desire is to play in the NFL. You don't have the wheels <laughs> to play running back, but you got the mentality. I really want to try you at inside linebacker. What do you think? I said, let's give it a try. So spring ball, I just excelled. It, it was it was one of those uncoverings that you find out about yourself that you didn't even know you had it in you to yeah. play that type of position. And man, oh man, my junior year, I, I broke all kinds of records. I had 202 tackles in one season, 32 in one game, which is still a standing record in the big sky. That's and a lot of tackles in one game, man. That's a lot of tackles. That's a lot uh, of tackles in one game. <laughs> yeah, and it just, I just excelled and, uh, you know, and it just took off from there. This click. No, I get it, man. I get it. That's a lot of guys in college, man. You get banged around to positions and then you land on that one and it just fits. Like from minute one, you're like, oh my God, I should have been playing here for five years and I would be way ahead of the game, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, my only regret, I, 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 it is a regret. I wish I had a little bit more playing time and experience as that inside linebacker, right? I mean, I only had a really a year and a half to learn the position because I got hurt my senior year for four games um, and still ended up as the number one tackler in the big sky with 178. So I could, probably could have beat the 202 tackles. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, unfortunately, I didn't every, every game, every play, every, every practice, I was learning more and more. Yeah. And it's really the vision of the field, right? So things that you can pick up as an expert with years of service and playing that certain position, you become better and better at it, as you know, from being a coach. Yeah. It's, a, it's all about when the game slows down for you. You know what yep. I mean? Like anytime I talk to other athletes and stuff, I'm like, you know, you, you can remember the moment when it slowed down for you. I bet you could recall it immediately. Like when you made a play and you kind of were just like, Oh man, I'm doing this faster than everybody else now, but I was lost a minute ago. That's you know right. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, boy, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. There's, um, I'm reading this book right now by Tim Grover. He's a professional public speaker. Tim Grover was uh, Kobe's uh, trainer for 20, over 20 years. He trained Michael Jordan. Uh, I'm reading his book called Winning right now. And he talks about athletes that are in the zone, that they're in the zone, but they're, they're playing with anger, but they're not playing with temper in terms of losing it out on the field you still have that angry side of you yeah um and i 
that's it. Boy, when I'm reading his book, I'm like, wow, that's me. I mean, that was me. You know, you play in the zone. Yeah. When you can find that fine line between, you know, playing with the anger and playing angry, you can really be productive, man. Oh my gosh. Incredible. You know, and I, I, I just recall playing football that I literally never heard the crowd. I, I, I didn't hear the screaming of the fans. I, I would wait to watch on Sunday. We had uh, football games on Saturday for college, right? So we'd all come in on Sundays and watch game film. And I literally, I swear to God, Mike, watching film going, oh my gosh, I did that? I, I could not even recall half of the things that I ended up doing. And I was actually, I impressed myself because I, I, I thought I did that. I, I, did, I was such in a zone that I, I couldn't even remember the game until I watched it on film. And even then, it, I, I couldn't recall the plays because yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's being that's in the mission of being in the zone, right? Oh, yeah. That's, that's the yeah. definition of being in the zone. You know, that's a big message that, that a lot of, I wish a lot of kids would get that we always try to preach on them is it's next play. I don't care what you did before. You should forget about it. You shouldn't know if it's a touchdown or a fumble. Let it be, man. It's next play, next play, next play till the game is over. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're very true. A lot of these kids, you know, they get hung up. Well, we all do. We get hung up that we had one bad play or, you know, half the game, you know, before halftime, you're not playing that well, right? And it gets in your head and then you end up having a, a terrible third and fourth quarter. Um, boy, I never, I never did that. I mean, uh, I just, God, I played play to play. And man, if I had a bad play, I told myself I'm going to kick, kick some more ass the next play and just get better and better and, and, yeah. and just have that anger inside you that you never wanted anybody to beat you. You wanted to be the best on the field. Yeah, you know? definitely. Definitely. Now, after you were done playing uh, Montana State, now you got drafted into the USFL, right? I did. I, uh, I got drafted the first, well, I'll back up. The first year that the USFL came out was the year that I graduated college and I was expected to get drafted in the NFL. Uh, my coach, as I mentioned earlier, Doug Graber, he was only at Montana State one year and then he left and was the defensive back coach at Kansas City. So he and I kept in touch and he thought for sure I'd get drafted in the late rounds, but unfortunately I got injured and that did not help. But where was I going with this story? I lost my train of thought. Um, but the USFL draft, you were yeah, getting the USFL. So the USFL had drafted me in the 15th round and they only drafted uh, two inside linebackers, me and another guy. And my agent at the time, Ken Staniger out of Montana said, Hey, we should wait and see if you get drafted by the NFL. I'm just not sure about this new league, the USFL. I'm not sure if it's going to make it. And I said, well, let's kind of play it out. Well, we played it out. I think if they would have gotten in touch with me right after my draft and made a phone call and congratulated me, knowing me, I probably would have ended up going to the USFL, but based on them not calling us right away, my agent thought it was a bad move. Um, it was and like hindsight's 2020, right? I mean, I probably should have gone to get some really good playing years in and made a name for myself and then kind of transition over to the NFL. But, um, you know, I, I, I got drafted and didn't go, you know? Right. Well, ended up working out though. Cause it, you ended up going, uh, with the chiefs, right? Yeah. I went with the chiefs and unfortunately the fourth preseason game, and I was probably right there on the cusp 
of making the team, but I got injured. I hurt an ankle badly. And as soon as, you know, at that point they send you home. Right. And so went home, went back to school, had, I had two more quarters left of school and I, I went one more quarter and then I went up to Canada with Toronto for about a year and a half. And it was kind of a, I don't know if you know much about Canada, but they can only have so many Americans on injury reserve at one time. Right. Right. Um, and back in the day, their injury reserve list was full. And so what they would do, they would end up cutting you and taking you to different teams or sending right. you home, waiting for a spot. And I, I wasn't a starter then, uh, but I played on all the uh, uh, special teams. And so they sent me home twice. And probably the third time, I just said, this is not my dream of playing professional football, being yeah. ousted, you know, every couple months and being traded or so I went back to uh, Montana and went back to school and got my degree, which was amazing. After two years, I went back and finished my degree in nutrition and uh, and then started bodybuilding because I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Right. And yeah, yeah, uh, it took smart that dream away. to finish up smart yeah. move to finish up school, you know, and those yeah. Canadian football leagues, the rules are weird, like they're only allowed to have so many Americans on the roster. Right. And then if my understanding was correct, the way to kind of navigate that rule was you wanted to keep a couple extra Americans on the roster. So they'd shift them to the IR. And then yep. they started being like, well, you can only have so many on the IR as well. So then you had yep. healthy guys on the IRI who were bumping guys who were legitimately hurt like you on the IR. And then it just becomes a mess. You know, that's what it, exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many people and then they keep a few and, and then they have trading you to different teams and saying it was just, it was too and much. And unfortunate because I, I played with uh, the head coach then was Bob Obilovich, who was a, uh, a Butte Montanan who was from Montana. And he knew about me and my reputation and playing in Montana. So he was excited to have me. And I, I'm sure I could have uh, done really well up there. It was just uh, uh, it's a right, it's a passing game, you know, it's th three downs. I was a 230 pound linebacker, but up there, it's just, you're running your fanny off. So yeah, uh, they had me down to about 220. Uh, you know, I was still running about a four or five. So, uh, four or five, five. So, uh, it was right up my alley, but unfortunately they, they, they traded me and cut me and that was the end of it. Now, when you were up there in Toronto, was that, was John Candy the owner of the team back then at that time? Boy, good question. I, I don't recall. I, I don't, don't I don't know either. I know he was with some other guys at a certain point, but I don't know when. I just yeah. thought maybe yeah, if you had remember. an interaction with him. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I don't remember. So all right. Yeah. And then, well, so then you went back home and you got into the bodybuilding, which is what I said before that you wound up being like Mr. Montana or something, right? Yeah, I, you know, I competed in the Mr. Montana and it, it was one of those things that as an athlete, when you have goals and you know what you need to do each and every day, and that's taken away from you, you're lost, right? You're lost in life. And hundred percent, the best that, you know, that I was always into weight training, uh, physical fitness and nutrition was really important to me back then. And, um, there was the only thing I knew was the gym. Right. And, uh, so I started working out and, uh, I had a pretty good physique. Uh, I was always lean. I was, uh, even at 230, I was 6% body fat with 21 inch arms and about 31 inch thighs. So I just thought that there was a great segue to get into bodybuilding. And I did, uh, did pretty well. And, but it just didn't fill the void. Right. I mean, I knew I could still play football. Uh, and 
just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And Ken Staninger, my agent, called me and said, hey, uh, the Rams are looking for a, a linebacker. Do you, do you want to go? I said, heck yeah, let's do it. Heck yeah. So that's what happened. Well, that's awesome, man. Now, when you got to the Rams, what happened there? Got injured. Yeah. So I was running again. Uh, and that was the end of my career. I was uh, running down on a kickoff with the Saints uh, in the Superdome against the Saints. And a guy just happened to catch my arm perfectly. And it was just one of those really uh, devastating injuries where a lot of things happen. You know, I mean, the impact was incredible. I fractured my scapula, uh, uh, crushed my larynx. Uh, I punctured a lung. <laughs> uh all, all kinds of stuff so and that was the end of my that was the end of my playing days it was you know they cut me within two weeks and boy that was a tough time in my life because it took me three years from 1987 to 1990 to heal up from that injury and I was uh, pretty depressed to be honest uh lost in life didn't know what to do I had my degree but come on you're you're an athlete and now you're gonna make twenty thousand dollars a year uh, as a school teacher or something, you know, that just wasn't in my, in my vision of, uh, of what I wanted to do. And there was a lot of, uh, depression, uh, and some sad, hard times in those three years. I can imagine that there was man, you know, cause it, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say something as foolish as like, uh, to be that close to your dream. Like you, you lived your dream, you accomplished your dream. I mean, you didn't make the Super Bowl, but you no. played on two NFL teams. I mean, that's like, that's rare air brother. People understand the percentages compared to how many athletes there are playing college football. Uh, it's less than 1% that even get a, uh, even a chance people, the, the misconception people have, they think anybody can go out and try out for a NFL team. No, that's not true. You, you have to be just as good as someone that is going to get drafted. Uh, and they, and they ask you to come try out, uh, yeah. you know, you, you don't, you don't just get to go try out for a, yeah. Like, well, they, well, they watch, uh, uh, invincible with Mark Wahlberg, you know what I mean? And there's an always that one story where they're like, oh yeah, that's a, you know what I mean? That always cracks me up personally. Just the sidebar cracks me up personally. Like when you're talking to somebody and, and especially you way more than me, um, when they try to say something to you, like, oh yeah, the, I knew one guy's brother. Um, yeah, he got a, you know, he got a walk on tryout with the lions or something like that ain't how it works. Who do you, oh, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, I went to like a baseball a, clinic and I tried out for the, uh, Cincinnati reds. And then I almost made the team. Oh, you didn't. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, you, you gotta be just, and, and you know, the thing is when I was with the Chiefs, especially with the chiefs, there was guys that did not get drafted you know, that were free agents like myself at, that were as good, if not, especially I saw it at wide receiver. There was guys that were not drafted. I, I think they were better than the first and second, third round draft choice that they had at the time. That's how good these players are. So when you think about across the, the playing field with every athlete in college, and you know there's a lot of good ones, it really comes down to politics, it's a numbers game because there are so many athletes that could make the NFL, but it's numbers, right? And yep. it, it, it yep. depends on how, how well you're doing as far as your, your, your wins and losses. Um, there are so many good athletes that, that should be playing in the NFL, but they just didn't have a chance.
Sure. And then there are also politics involved with front office stuff. You know, GM's trying to make a name for himself. He's trying oh, to keep sure. his job. He gave a big money contract to a guy who's not working out. He's got to stick with it and ride him out and see if he can turn it around. You know, well, sure. Can, can you imagine as a, as a GM or you're the owner of a team and you, and you draft someone in the first round, but then you got a guy that's a free agent that's actually better than the first round draft choice. You think they're really going to start the guy that's a free agent versus oh. the first round? No, never. No. Won't do it. Won't happen. No, you'll lose your job as soon as that guy, that guy that you could put that uh, free free agent guy in there and he could have 1300 yards and 15 touchdowns, you know, and, and then have two bad fumbles at the wrong time. And everybody'd be like, why are you playing that guy? You're fired. You <laughs> so, know, true. so, so true. Yeah. Now yep. they, they get it mixed up like that, man. So much. Yep. So, after that, like you said, like, you know, you're pretty depressed about that. You were saying, uh, but being out, yeah, it, was a, it was a tough deal. I, you know, I had some good times in those three years I was healing up. I, Dan Clark, who became nitro on American gladiators, Dan also played outside linebacker for the Rams and we just hit it off. We became really good friends. We became roommates. Um, and so Dan and I were, were friends uh, first and foremost. And, you know, it was, it was some good times and, uh, and there was some partying times too, because we were still young. Uh, we were single, uh, but it, it helped to have Dan, you know, as a roommate, because he played, he, he understood the game and understood yeah. what injuries were and kind of helped me out of that de depressive state that I was in. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah, you, I could imagine probably good to have somebody there with you that to, to, yeah. to reinforce that message to you that it wasn't you and it wasn't, your talent level, man. It was an injury. What are you going to do? Injury. Yeah. 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 So you guys were pretty tight. And I don't know if I'm, I got to have it mixed up or not, but now he helped you to get on the show. Like he was on the show first or you were on the show first? Yeah. Dan. So Dan and I both had, we supposed started doing commercials just to make some extra money. And it was fun being in Hollywood. So we had the same agent. And Dan got a call from our agent to try out for this TV show called American Gladiators. Well, I never got a call from the agent and Dan got casted the first 13 episodes as Nitro. And they were supposed to be doing 26 episodes in one season. They did 13 and they had a gladiator by the name of Malibu. If you remember him, they I have the long hair. With the hair, yeah. <laughs> with the hair. Well, not saying anything bad about Malibu, but he wasn't the best athlete that they thought he should be. So they ended up stopping the production and they had another tryout to find another gladiator to replace him. So my agent called and said, Hey, I just got a call from gladiators. They're having a tryout. You want to, you want to do it? I said, heck yeah, let's do it. So I tried out as they were stopping production. In 1989, it was December of 89, and I did a three-day tryout, and they ended up casting me as one of the American Gladiators for the next 13, which is the first season, really. So they broke those two seasons in, you know, in 89 and January of 1990, and that's how that happened. Okay. I'm going to be honest with you right now. When you brought that up and, and what you were saying about Malibu, I can remember as a kid, we would get together and watch it Saturday mornings when it would uh, be on in Detroit. And I'd be watching it with my buddies and my brothers and stuff. And I can remember feeling when they would put him into a game, we would all be like, oh, this guy's going to get points here. He's going <laughs> to get points here. And nothing against him. I'm just saying. Yeah. I can remember as a kid being like, oh, this guy can't stop nobody, man. Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a, 
Uh, I don't want to talk about. I mean, he was an okay oh, athlete. Yeah. You know, they cast him because he had the long hair. Yeah, he, he had a great body, man. Well, he, he looked the part. He looked like a beast. Yeah, oh, he was a beast. He was a big boy. I mean, he just he had it all. But you know, in the beginning, like we talked about earlier, the first two years was more about kind of that Hollywoodish. They really didn't know what the theme of the show should be, so they casted Malibu, and obviously, you know, then they ended up axing him, and you know, I I filled the void and ended up uh, being a gladiator uh, that ended up being on the show longer than anybody and did more episodes than anybody, which is, which was a nice accolade to, for for yourself. So you were, you were the longest running gladiator. Yeah. Longest running and uh, did more episodes than any other gladiator. Uh, yeah, I was the only one that made it all seven seasons. Um, everyone else was three, maybe four. Uh, I don't think anyone even made five. Uh, That's a feat in and of itself to injuries alone. Oh, yeah. Especially uh, a lot of people don't know that the injuries on that show were so prevalent. I had uh, since from the show during the show, the seven seasons, uh, eight years, I had uh, about nine surgeries. And then I have had a total of 16 surgeries based on that show. Oh, man. Uh, so a lot of injuries. Holy cow. How many like how many surgeries did you have to have from all that stuff? Uh, well, there was a total of, in the eight seasons I was on, I had, uh, I think, seven surgeries. And then I've had all those other surgeries post the gladiators because I keep re-tearing all, you know, the rotator cuffs in my shoulder. They just, they're frayed to the point where they don't even hold together. So uh, pretty serious stuff. And that's rough. Now, that's happened pretty regular, though? Still, still got it going on? Yeah, the last surgery I had was probably five years ago. Um, and it's just my shoulders. I mean, there's just, I have so many anchors in each shoulder just to hold them together. Yeah, I still train every day, but there's a lot of things I can't do because of, of the shoulder injuries. But I believe, you it. know, it's, it is what it is. You know, it's part of being an athlete. And yeah, you know, it is now, what how, it is. How did that work on the production side of that, though? Like, say you're filming an episode and you get hurt early in the episode, and then, you know, what somebody has to step in to finish your games in the episode or what would happen in that case? Yeah. Um, that's exactly what happened. I mean, there was each year there was between 26 and maybe 29 episodes that we would film. And if you did get injured on the first day, cause we would do two shows a day. We'd do two days on one day off, four days on two days off. And we would do back to back shows and they were 12 to 15 hour days of filming doing all these different competitions against fresh new contenders, right? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, because the but different show, different contender. So you're going twice. You're in the eighth go. quarter. This guy's in the first quarter. I and know. he would be in the first quarter, and he would compete. But he wouldn't if he advanced on, he wouldn't compete for another three or four days. So he was fresh all of the time. And right. it, we knew that no matter how injured we were, that where you made – most of your income was the residuals, right? When the show aired. And so we knew no matter how injured you got, you, you, you had to do it you, because that was what feeding your family, right? And putting the roof over your head. So it, it, was, do, it was dire, it, it was do or die. You know, I mean, we had to do it. Um, yeah. No matter how injured you were, you were going out there. Um, and there was years where I got injured absolutely on the first episode tearing a rotator cuff, a complete tear. 
and you had to go out and suck it up and and finish all 26 episodes you gotta stay on camera tough, to get paid tough deal yeah yeah that's a yeah. real tough deal and if you go back and look and again, I employ anybody that's listening to this right now, like go on YouTube and just look up some old clips and watch the show and like refresh your memory of it because it's, it's a fun ass rabbit hole to go down. I mean, it'll yeah. take you right back to your childhood or your college years for whoever's listening. Right. But you look at like what you guys are wearing compared to what the competitors are wearing and think of like by today's standards and it's ridiculous. You guys may be elbow pads, no helmets, no helmet, but a singlet. This guy's decked out from head to toe in padding and helmet. And then they hand him the ball and let him get a full head of steam at you. And yeah. you're going, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. We had elbow, we had that Powerball game, right? So there was three gladiators, two contenders, and it was basically pro football. I mean, it was yeah. football. They were trying to put the balls in the, in the little cones and we could tackle. I mean, there was 30 yard runs where you, you were a full grown man. 240 pounds going against another contender yeah it was it was unbelievable and for the first two years they didn't even have little helmets on us and then they finally came out with those uh lacrosse helmets that were cushioned yeah that was i think the third year i mean hold on i'm going to turn my phone yeah. on <laughs> sorry about that no that's all good man that's part of the that's part of the ambiance of the show jim it's great <laughs> i love it it's great so they're not even wearing they just start wearing these helmets like in the third season but i remember that powerball because it like you and gemini and nitro dudes didn't want to do it yeah you didn't want to go out there i could you know i was looking up some old clips before we were doing this and i was like yeah i remember this man you got you could tell the guys that were football players yeah you know what i mean yeah and, and most of the gladiators, all, all the guys, um, all of us had played professional football uh, like Gemini. He played on and off for 10 years and I think five different teams. Nitro played. They're, the only gladiator that I can recall that didn't play uh, was Galen Tomlinson, who was turbo. And he was a stud, man. I mean, that, that, that guy, he didn't even play co any college sports, but he was just an animal. I mean, his mentality, just a pure, tough athlete. He, he was a good athlete, that guy. Yeah, well, the whole damn crew was. I mean, you watch yeah. that show and it's now there was one clip I got to ask you about. And I don't know if you remember or not, but and I don't even remember if it aired or if this was footage somebody had that they ended up being cutting it out or something. But it was during the Powerball. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he used to come back every so often. A guy, ponytail. Uh, he had a ponytail and he would be a contestant more than a couple of times. Anyway, him and Gemini got into it and he threw the ball off Gemini's head while he was on the ground. <laughs> and Gemini got up and chased him down and oh, yeah. beat the, beat the piss out. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There, there was a few instances, you know, they never had a spratinizing with the contenders ever. And, and I liked it that way. I don't want to be your friend. Right. I mean, so that we never met the contenders, never saw them till the day we started to compete. And there, there was some epi episodes that happened during the episodes that were, were pretty serious stuff. I mean, guys getting into it. I mean, really serious. Because there was a couple contenders that were a little arrogant and cocky. And, and uh, uh, one that come to mind that he and I were in the Conquer Ring wrestling. And it was uh, Lucian Anderson and Tough Kid. And him and I got into it. I mean, it was uh, it was. 
it was ready for some throwdowns. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it because, and I just like as a competitor as an, and as an athlete, I'm just thinking like, if I was in the seventh quarter, it's the second show. I've already done this four times. I've already been in a ring today, not counting Powerball and all the other stuff. I've right. done. This guy's fresh and he's going to come in here cocky because he got away from me on the first one. I'd be furious. Yeah. I would be furious. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we, very seldom did the gladiators end up getting together uh, to say that there was a contender that we didn't like or we didn't want to advance on because of his cockiness or just his arrogance. It happened maybe twice in the eight seasons I was on the show where there was one or two contenders that just, man, they just thought they were something else and they were arrogant, cocky. And we did get together like on Powerball and said, sure. hey, this guy's not getting any points. We're, go we're going to target that guy. I love it. And it happened. So, I love it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but overall, uh, er every contender was gracious, good athletes, just, uh, just good people, you know. And, uh, but there was a few as normal, you know, when you're an athlete. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're going to think uh, you're, you're better than everybody else, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's competitive juices, man. Yeah, I you gotta, better believe I, it. I got to ask you, I don't know if you're familiar with um, – who Brooks Whelan is. Who is it? Brooks Whelan. No. He's, the, he's a comedian. He was on SNL for a little while. Um, no. I know him through some friends of some friends out here. But before we had even set this interview up, he had posted uh, a video online of his uncle on American Gladiators. And it was in the ring and it was with you. Oh, geez. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. I said, okay, I'm going to ask him about it, see if he remembers it. But now Brooks family is a big, they're big time um, NCAA wrestlers, not like WWF wrestlers. Like, you know, they're, they're big into yeah. wrestling. Yeah. And uncle was on the show. And I think the guy's name was Teddy LePage. And anyways, Brooks was like, when I was a kid, he was my hero. Cause he went on the show and he won a couple of episodes in yeah. a row. And, and the clip he had was you guys in the ring. And let me tell you that Ted LePage was a stud. I mean, that guy could wrestle and he, he wanted everybody that was good in the conquering, which was basically wrestling. Right. Yeah, uh, and I remember going against him, and man, he was a stud. I mean, he Big was strong, wrestler. quick, uh, and he was an animal. I mean, he was good, really yeah. good. He seemed like a really nice guy too. When you watched the videos, like afterwards, he'd be running over to you guys and you know giving you fives and picking yeah. you up, and you guys were hugging and stuff. And I was like, that I didn't see you guys interact with a lot of guys like that. So no. said a lot about him. I thought, yeah, and, and you know, and he he earned our respect because he was respectful, but he was just a tough guy, just just a all around, just a good athlete. And he was very good at wrestling. I can tell you that. I think he was, <laughs> is, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was the NCAA champion of whatever school. I, I can't remember where he went to school, but he, he was good. Really. I'm, good. I'm not sure, but I would imagine you're right. Cause I think I've heard Brooks talk quite a bit about, they all wrestled at Iowa or maybe at yeah. Minnesota. Oh yeah. It was a big something. school, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he was good. Yeah, well, that's funny that you remembered him. I told him I'd ask. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so now Nitro, I wanted to double back on Nitro. Now you guys were buddies. Um, you're on the show together for a long time. And then he ended up getting into announcing or something toward the end of the seasons. Was that something that you were ever thinking about doing or you wanted to stay with the company? No, um, and I don't even know. There was a year that Dan left the show. Uh, I think it was a conflict with the contract or something. Um, and I, I'm not sure how it transpired where he ended up being a host of the show. 
uh, I, I never even thought about doing it. Uh, he, he's just a natural. I mean, he, he's very charismatic and uh, a good speaker and smart guy. And uh, he left for a year and then they, he came back the next year and he did actually really well as be, yeah. he understood the game. He understood the, the events and he became a host, which was kind of odd that he would interview us knowing that he was one of the, one of us at one time. Right. right so right, yeah, it was right. pretty cool. Yeah, right. he did really well. Now, what were some of your personal favorite games? Like, what were the ones wow. that you wanted to be in? I loved the joust. Um, I boxed in high school and college. I did those smokers. And my dad was a, a college boxer. And, you know, it's kind of boxing. And I, I just loved it. I loved that one-on-one -on -one competition. And I really practiced that game where I, I wanted to be the one of the best ever. I very rarely lost on the joust. That was my number one. I love Powerball just because yeah. it resembled football. Yeah. I love the Conquer Ring uh, because of that physicality and the one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. Uh, those three games, uh, and then there was a game called the Gauntlet where we had all the gladiators with different um, apparatuses, and you'd have the one contender run down the, the gauntlet. And we yeah. knew. I just I love that because it was a team unity type thing, but yeah, it was fun, man. I was like, that was yeah. fun. I loved it. I bet it was, man. I can, I'm telling you, I can remember we would try, we would play Powerball like you wouldn't believe in the neighborhood, man. We yeah. had a bunch of trash cans and some balls and it would be <laughs> on, man. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was just a good time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, well, it was great. It was great. It was, it was fun to watch. And now I got to ask you, I read that um, now Nitro wrote a book about the show. I did not read the book i'll be honest with you i didn't have you ever read it i did and it's very well written it's called roids rage and redemption you know it's about dan's dan's life you know he got into uh, anabolic steroids he had a younger brother older brother i'm sorry when dan was a child that ended up passing away and uh dan had a lot of boy just tough times right losing your own brother and he died in dan's arms and um, but the book is very well written. Um, and if you ever read it, there's a chapter, which I can't read. I think it's chapter five. That's dedicated. It's about he and I, <laughs> and he doesn't mention my name until the last paragraph of the chapter, but Dan and I were roommates, as I mentioned, and we went to Palm Springs to do a little party in, and I was 240 pounds. He was 240. And we, he and I actually got in a fist fight, an altercation with each other. And oh, right on the main, he was in his red Jeep and I ended up punching him and he, he and I got in a fight right in the middle of the street. And it was, it was a bad fight. It was tough. I mean, it was, it was a fist fight. And that yeah. whole chapter is dedicated to he and I in that, <laughs> in it basically like a barroom brawl. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try to dig that up and, and at least read that chapter because the little excerpt that I saw somewhere said from him he was saying um, we had gotten into it and you had punched him and he said the next thing I do I have my hands on Jim's throat and by the end of it he said I had permanent scars on my face from Jim's teeth. <laughs> yeah. He still brings it up today because I bit him and, I, and he said hey I didn't know you you bite people in a fight I said hey I'm from Montana anything's going. You, you're not, you're not going to lose. You do whatever. There, there's no rules in, in a street fight. Yeah. So, that's that's yeah, the old saying in the street fight. 
what's yeah. the best weapon you can use in a street fight? It's the first one you get your hands on. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. So oh, that's funny, man. But you guys are still real tight, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're still close. You know, Dan and I have always stayed and remained friends after all these years. And we just, uh, you know, this this week, we're getting ready to film our Netflix Netflix documentary series on where are they now? And Steve Henneberry, who's Tower, uh, had a gathering at his house Sunday night and all of us got together for the first time in many years and saw each other. And yeah, it was really, really nice to, to bring up some old stories and to yeah. see each other again. Yeah. It was yeah, a good time. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> now, that Netflix thing, now that's going to be episodic or is it just going to be like a two hour doc or you don't, you're not sure. No, it, it's going to be the, a six or eight part documentary series. Um, yes. And I don't know, all of us are filming this, this week. Um, there are four hour segments that they're going to film us, uh, in a studio. They did a bunch of gladiators yesterday. My, my call times this Thursday. Um, and it's just really talking about the show, how we got involved in it, bringing up probably all the stuff that we did and shouldn't have done. Right. And then, uh, just what have we been doing for the last 30 years? Right. And, uh, talking about our families and our, our livelihood. And it's going to be really cool. It should air sometime late 2022 or sometime in 2023. So it, it should be pretty cool. I can't wait for that, man. I can't wait for that. Cause I, you know, on the tail, on the coattails of the, you and Dan in the Jeep there, I was going to ask you about the locker room. Like, was there ever like, well, there's I'm, like in any sport or any kind right. of thing like that, I'm sure the guys didn't like each other or any, you know, getting yeah. into it behind the scenes and stuff, you know. You know, you, you have your favorites and you have friends, you know, and you got guys on your team that you don't like, right? I mean, that's just, that's yeah. life, right? And um, I, I don't think, and I'm trying to recall just all the different gladiators that showed up and were gladiators or backup gladiators that never made the show. I don't recall anyone that I, I disliked, right. Sure. Where, and I, I can't recall any of the other gladiators that disliked another gladiator. We were all pretty much friendly with each other and we were friends on and off the set. Uh, like Lee Rareman, who was Hawk, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago. Uh, and so did Billy Smith, who was Thunder just recently in the last few months. Um, really? We were all just really close, good friends. Um, we didn't hang out in the off season uh, when we were not filming, but we kept in touch with each other uh, through the years. Uh, it says a lot about the, you know, the, the, the camaraderie that all of us shared uh, being athletes. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that, man. I didn't know that he had recently passed. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. There's been three glad uh, there was Shelly Beatty who was siren. She was the partial deaf gal. She ended up dying. She unfortunately hung herself. Uh, I'm not sure why. It's just sad. And then um, Lee Rareman, who had a hip replacement, um, ended up having a blood clot that went to his heart and killed him uh, four months after the surgery. And then Billy Smith, who was thunder, succumbed to some things that happened in his life just in the last, I think he passed away two months ago. And uh, he was a really good friend of mine and uh, really sad to see those guys go. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, bro. I'm yeah, me too. Thank you. Man. Appreciate it. Now they did try to bring the show back. If yeah. I don't like around 2008 or 2009. Yeah. Uh, 
But you guys were not big fans of that, yeah? No, not, not a fan. And it didn't last long. So obviously it didn't do well. So, and we knew it coming out of the gate. You know, for whatever reason, Mike, they, they never, all of us gladiators at the time wanted to be a part of this new remaking of the second version of, of gladiators, which they had Ali Ali and Hulk Hogan as their host, right? Which kind of made it even more Hollywoodish, especially Hulk Hogan. But they didn't want, they had young producers and directors. They didn't understand the concept of the show. All of us wanted to either, Tower and I wanted to go and compete, uh, maybe as a cameo appearance. We wanted to be host. Uh, something to bring back the iconic figures that started it all. But they didn't want anything to do with us. Nothing. And the show bombed. Uh, it was really, they really made the show unauthentic i think if that's a word unauthentic but sure. it wasn't authentic uh it was more wwf type yelling and screaming uh and and they lost the vision of what we created and fortunately i think it ended which it should have because it was a joke uh i'm not saying it was a joke because of contenders or gladiators that they had i just think their concept they lost the vision of what that show was supposed to be all about. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with you, man. It's typical. Uh, it's typical of like Hollywood and the entertainment business to, to try to rebrand everything. You know what I yeah. mean? And it's like, well, that's why original Coke is back to original Coke because new Coke sucked. That's right. You know what I mean, yes, exactly. I mean, I, I look at, they had the, uh, the referees, like our referee was Larry Thompson gladiators ready i mean he was so iconic i mean he was just he really made the show what it was and they just kind of they lost the vision and they had goofy costumes they uh yeah they just lost it and it's unfortunate because if they would have introduced us as part of the show either as cameo appearances as a host i i think people were tuning in because of what we created and people tuned out versus based on what they created. That was a complete yeah. failure. And more, uh, more, more shame on them. Exactly. <laughs> shame yeah. on them. Um, the Hulk Hogan thing, now the Hulk Hogan connection and him being the host and all that. I mean, that really pushed him down the road of trying to, to go wrestling style with it, which, yeah. you know, we discussed didn't work. But I always thought that the WWF itself was the most popular show running at that time. Yeah. Right. And then I think, though, during the course of, of looking some of this stuff up for the show, I saw somewhere that you guys had surpassed them in the ratings for a little while. We did. You know, that show was on for over 20 years. I mean, I just spoke to Nitro yesterday via text, and we were both texting each other. Uh, and Dan had stated our show at the time should have lasted as long, if not longer, than WWF over 20 years, but it didn't. Unfortunately, it, it failed based on Samuel Goldwyn not putting money back into the show and then selling it to MGM. And then MGM decided not to pick us up. But yeah, we, we you know, we surpassed them in ratings, uh, which is still mind boggling today because they didn't, they didn't put money back into the show ever. I, it's just, I don't understand it. It's, it's crazy, but it is what it is, right? I mean, live and learn, but. Yeah. I, I remember thinking at the time as a kid, though, like, 
because I would watch the heck out of wrestling. I mean, you can probably see in my background there, I got somebody yeah, wrestling on yeah. the wall. <laughs> you know, I collect all kind of old toys from back when I was a kid and, and sports cards and things like that. But I always felt like the WWF was missing the boat on not having some of you guys come over. Well, let me tell you something interesting, Mike. So yes. <laughs> uh, Jim McMahon, they reached out to Steve Hanaberry, who was tower, big guy, 6'6", 290. Um, and they reached out to my agent at the time, and they wanted Steve and I to be the next tag team champions. I knew it. And I turned it down. I don't, I, I can't, Steve was trying to talk me into doing it, but hey, I, I, I couldn't do it because they already had it rigged who was going to win or lose. That's just not me. Sure, I can't, sure. if I'm going to go out and, and compete, I, I'm going balls out and I, 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 I'm not going to fake something that is not part of who I am. So yeah, yeah. I, I turned it down and, and uh, I, I think it was the best decision I made. I mean, I'm sure the contract would have been quite lucrative, but it just wasn't, it wasn't who I was at the time. Sure. You know? I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. That was a big problem that they had with Roddy Piper. He was like that too. If you ever know, like he would never love that guy. Never take a pinfall. I know. I love never that lose guy. to anybody. He was like, if I have to lose the match, you have to disqualify me. Yeah. I have to do something crazy to the guy and get disqualified or counted out or something. Nobody's pinning me. Yeah. And let me tell you, just so if someone's listening to this, I have all the respect in the world for those guys. Studs, great, great athletes. I mean, sure. to do what they're able to do and to rehearse those moves and to, and they took a beating. Let me tell you, they they didn't scathe by coming off injury free. Those guys took a hell of a beating. Great athletes. So I just want to clarify that because if someone gets upset with me saying, no, no. "But hey, great athletes, they took a beating," but obviously they knew who was going to win or lose because it's it's about ratings, right? They, and it's they're selling a promotion. They're selling oh, sure. a promotion. That's what it is, you know. You know, and they got to keep the soap opera going. You know, that's right. That's it. You know what I mean? Because it's not new contestants next week. They don't get fresh meat. So you got to right. keep it alive between the two guys. And and in reality, uh, you know, if somebody's junkyard dog's beating the hell out of Roddy Piper every week, it gets boring. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, two of my favorite shows, though, growing up, man. In the morning, I would catch American Gladiators. And then at night, Saturday night's main event. And, you know, for a 10, 11-year-old kid, man, that was awesome. Well, you better believe it. I mean, look at look – at, uh... Dwayne Johnson, I mean, The Rock, look where he started and look where he is today. Number one paid uh, actor in Hollywood. I mean, he's a stud, man. I, I love that guy. I mean, he, he's like, I mean, if there was one person, I mean, I met him years ago in Calabasas before he became big in the movies. He was big in WDIP and I met him at, a, at the Sagebrush can Cantina there in Calabasas and he was just a nice guy. I mean, I, and he's the kind of guy that I would like to hang out with and just, you know, yeah. Talk BS and whatever, but he seems just like a, just a great dude. Yeah. That's what everybody says, man. Like everybody that meets him says what a nice dude he is. How yep. respectful he is to everybody on the set. I mean, the guys that are sweeping the floors, he's, yep. you know what I mean? Like he's just one of those dudes. And that's the kind of thing that I love because my God, why wouldn't you be that way? You're lucky enough to be in that position. You know, he's just a guy oh. that gets it. You better believe it. And I, and I, and I've tried to live that way. Just, and I've always mentioned to friends and family and people is just be a good guy, right? Just be a good human being. 
And that's what I've heard about him as well. He's just a, he's just a great guy all the way around. And, and you can see it with the following that he has on Instagram and people watch. He's just so charismatic and he's, he's sharp. He's smart. He's good looking. He's built. Well, I mean, he, he's got, he's got the whole package going on. That guy does. Yeah. They knew it from minute one, man. He was you better be believe it. Yeah. yeah. He took off huge from there. There's no doubt about that, man. So I, I got to tell you though, man, talking about this and like everything that you had gone through personally, and I'm just reflecting on it. And I'm just like over and over and over again, just overcoming stuff, man. Like yeah. knock down, got to pick it back up, knock down, got to pick it back up. And it, it, it just always kept working out for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's uh, I've lived by this motto, Mike. Um, really it started with the gladiators and I, I, <laughs> my entire family uses it. I use it. Never surrender. And I try to live that way. You know, I've, I've had a lot of injuries and every, every year you got to pick yourself up. You got to go through therapy. You got, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a fun life. And, and as an athlete, you have a lot of uh, ups and downs, but you got to come back from it. Right. And, and not only as an athlete, but as a businessman, I mean, all of us have things going on in our life. I mean, I mean, you can relate. You're a coach. You got to drive all the way to where your work is and take care of your family. And there's struggles. Everybody struggles. I mean, you are not you you are not a clean have a clean slate as a human being just because maybe you're on TV or you're an athlete. All of us have skeletons in our closet. We all deal with the same stuff every day. Yep. Life is tough, man. Yeah, it, 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 it's tough, and you you start to doubt yourself, you start to question your ability. And at the end of the day, all, all you have is that inner voice to, to talk to yourself to say, Hey, am I going to give up today? Or are you going to keep going? And we all have that voice. And hopefully the voice is loud enough within each of us to say, screw it. I, I got to never surrender. I got, I got to take the bull by the horns and, and keep fighting the fight. Because life is a fight, right? It, it really is. There's no joke about it. It, it. People live through tough times and, and we're fearful of losing our jobs or we're out of a job and we can't afford uh, rent or a mortgage. And, and all, all you can do every day is, is, is open your eyes in the morning, be thankful that you're, you're alive and, and, and to go after it each and every day with tenacity and anger and be able to just look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the night and say, I, I did one hell of a job today. That's all I can do. And, and, and that's it. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well said, especially over these last two years, man, uh, mental toughness is everything right now. I think, man, because. Oh, you better believe it. I mean, that's... In and you, you, you can't go anywhere. And you, you know what I mean? With everything going on with, with this, you know, you're sitting alone with your thoughts a lot and that can go down the wrong road, man. But mental toughness is huge. Yeah, it, it really is, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up because uh, nobody is uh, um, singled out by not having a tough life, right? I mean, uh, yeah. everybody has the same issues. Everybody has the same problems, um, marriage problems, financial difficulties, kids, uh, life, jobs. I mean, you, you could have all the money in the world and still have the same issues as the guy down the street that is homeless. I mean, you know, yeah, the disparity, I mean, that's a huge disparity, but 
life's tough, you know, and you just yeah. gotta, you, you gotta fight the fight and uh, keep grinding, 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 grinding. That's all there's to it. You know? Yeah. yeah. You got to find a way to get up and keep pushing. There's no doubt about that, man. Yeah, you really do. Now, let me ask you, what do you got going on right now? Now I know you're, you're involved with a, um, a new health company you're working yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, name of the company is called Opsis Health. And uh, it's a new company that uh, uh, a gentleman, the founder, Kevin Grundy is the founder. Kevin Grundy was first hired by Steve Jobs in the late eighties. Uh, and he was sought out by Steve Jobs to, to put a bunch of electronic components into a computer uh, and that computer became the next computer, and that next computer was used to develop the World Wide Web. So Kevin Grundy, his background in technology, as you can imagine, is one of the top in the entire world globally. Imagine, yeah. And he had a daughter, or has a daughter, that had Crohn's disease, and he knew that everything she was, all her symptoms came from what she was consuming in terms of food. And he decided at that time that he had to help his daughter. And he figured out that all her issues were coming through food that she was consuming, eating. So behind the scenes for four years, this is a startup company. He developed an idea in his head about how to capture food with your smartphone. And so what he has done, this is remarkable because no one's been able to figure it out until now. He's able to take your smartphone, whether it's an Android or an Apple, and you do a breeze scan above your plate of food and it will give you within 95% accuracy, within four seconds of a scan, all your carbs, protein, calories, carbohydrates, 175 micronutrients, so you're able to not only know from the plate of food what you're eating by looking at it, but you're able to dismantle that food based on the volume and the density of that food. So it, what? It, it's incredible. So what, they're, what they've been doing four years behind the scene, scenes is they're taking the, your cell phone and they're capturing about 90 images within that cell phone, but they have a device that he called a carousel. And the carousel actually rotates around the plate of food with your cell phone to capture the 360 degrees of any food item. And we're starting here in the US to build the largest food database ever in the entire world. And it's gonna be called the Global Nutrition Project. And what this is able to do is for us as human beings, not only be able to capture your food on a daily basis on total calories, carbs, protein, fats, the 175 micronutrients, but you're able to now dismantle that food. And if you have a chronic morbidity uh, of a disease, you're able to know, especially like a diabetic, you're yeah. able to know what's in that food in terms of total calories and carbohydrates for insulin levels before you even eat the food. Jim, when is this coming out? When do I get to have this on my phone? <laughs> Incredible. So um, it should be out later part of 2022. Um, 
We have some big companies that are involved right now, uh, Novo Nordisk, which is the largest pharmaceutical diabetic company in the entire world. They're, they're a partner of ours. Uh, we're doing some stuff for them to develop uh, a white label for uh, diabetics, uh, knowing obviously carb counting and all of that for insulin levels. Um, it's, a, it's a company that they believe in the next five years is gonna be a, a, a unicorn company, which is a billion dollar company. So- I would believe it. Do you know how many things I could keep out of my mouth if I had that on my phone? It's truly incredible. Um, and the <laughs> people are asking, well, how are you gonna capture all the food images? What we're doing is uh, we're, we're getting volunteers, volunteers called uh, citizen scientists. And what these citizen scientists will do is they'll, they're capturing all of the food with their cell phone um, and taking pictures, images basically, and recording the food, weighing the food and dismantling that food based on the nutritional profile of that food. So all of us as human beings, rather than reading the nutrition food label yeah. and understanding, oh, there's 200 calories, there's 20 grams of protein. Now we're gonna be able to dismantle that food and know how much vitamin B or vitamin D and at the end of it, are you taking too much vitamin D because you had too much vitamin D in, in all these food groups and now you have an overconsumption of vitamin D? That's just one example. Um, That's phenomenal. It, it's it, not it, even that hard a technology to understand. I don't know, even know how people will question. I'm listening to it and I'm going, I'm not having to like, how are you going to do that moment? I'm having to like, uh, well, duh. It's like compiling that database is no different than like uh, Google compiling every damn street in the nation on your phone. You just have to do the work. And then on the flip side, telling, you know, how, the density of the portions and things like that is no different than facial recognition technology. So why couldn't they do this? Brilliant. It, it, boy, you, you've hit the nail. You've ex ex explained it perfectly because that's exactly what they're doing. And it's, it's a, it, it, there's a thing called TAM, Total Addressable Market, um, on how they look at the competitive landscape and where your valuation as a company is. And the valuation of this company uh, is, is truly incredible um, in terms of a billion dollar company because everyone in the world eats food, right? Yeah. So if you well, can- Most everybody. <laughs> most everybody, right? And uh, so they're looking at this uh, you know, globally um, and they think that within the next five years, um, they're going to be one of the top five in the entire world uh, to compete with Facebook and Google and, and, and Microsoft. Is this uh, thing going public? Because I'm fixing to get some stock on this bad boy. Yeah, I got, I got, some, I got some shares. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a new company. Um, they will probably, they'll either do an IPO in four or five years, uh, or they'll end up selling to, to someone, which will probably be Google. Um, but a lot of these companies have failed, you know, um, and uh, trying to do exactly what Kevin Grundy uh, has been doing. And, and my best friend, who's the co-founder, Mike Pincus, who got me involved in this company. Um, it, it's just truly incredible. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant, dude. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and can't wait for it to hit the market. And, and uh, it will be a, a brand name like Microsoft or Google or or Facebook uh, within four or five years, uh, everyone in the world will know this company. Uh, it's pretty exciting.
Now, when they do the movie about this, who's playing you? Because I'm telling you, this thing's going to be like that. It's going to be like a Facebook thing. Who is playing Jim Starr in the movie? I don't know. We might have you do it. Who knows? <laughs> you know? Hey, man, I'm in. Sign me yeah. up for that. <laughs> Pretty exciting stuff. So look for look for it. It's Opsis Health. Uh, the app, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a technology. It's pl it's a platform, just like uh, you know, Facebook uses your phone, right? Uh, yeah. But you can get on your computer, but the phone will capture the food, you know, by taking uh, scanning your food. But um, you know, it's a, it, it, it's it's an easy application. It's beyond what we could even imagine uh and no one's been able to figure it out until now and thankfully kevin grunde did um and with his technology savvy business acumen hopefully the entire world world would be using uh, opsis health i'm telling you if this thing comes out and works the way you're saying i don't see how people won't be using it I yeah don't. I, do I mean yeah I do too. Thank you. Appreciate it. Phenomenal, dude. Well, kudos to you, man, brother. I'm, I'm like, wow, that's an amazing thing to be on the ground floor on, man. Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really fortunate to be on the ground level of a, of a startup. And, uh, you know, they're expecting in the next probably four years to have over 3,500 employees. They're out of uh, Golden, Colorado. Uh, I'm number 14 employee. So I'm pretty fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, damn, man. Well, again, congrats on that. Thank That's you, phenomenal, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's Thank phenomenal. you. Things going well, man. Got the next yeah, coming yeah. going. Family's well. I got kids. I got my first grandson who's two and a half, and my kids are doing well. My family's doing well. So uh, I got a great marriage. Uh, uh, so everything's great. Can't living the dream, man. You're, you're the rock, bro. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you're it. Living man. the dream, man. That's awesome, right. man. Yeah. I got one question for you, though, coming up this weekend, though. On the back end of all this, you know, I got to ask you, um, disagree with me or don't, the Grizzlies are going to win the title, Division Two this year, or Division 1A, or FCS, FCS. Yeah. Boy, that's a tough one. I don't know. Yeah, you know, right. Montana State's in it, too, you know, so. Oh, they're still live? Yeah. Oh, they're still, yeah, they, they won 26-7 last week, uh, so they're both in it. Now, wouldn't that be something, having two Montana schools pay for the national championship? Yeah. Uh, pretty cool, but uh, – yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you probably didn't know Montana was in it, but either school could go. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't have a, even though I played for Montana State, I wouldn't, you know, my brother played for the Grizz. He was a nose guard. Oh, really? Okay. So he played for the Grizz, I played for the Cats. So uh, I kind of rooting for both. Right, right. Okay. Well, yeah. man, that would be awesome to see them play against each other. I know it was North Dakota State and, and, South Dakota State or something a couple of years ago played for it. So why not, man? That'd why be, not, right? <laughs> well, that'd be something else. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Well, listen, man, I got to thank you for your time. I know you're busier than a dog chasing two tails, all the stuff you got going on, man. Yeah. So I thank you for coming on the show, man. It was awesome to get to talk hey, to you. Thank you. And if you ever need me to come back on, I will. I, I want to uh, state for everybody that's listening, for you, I, I hope you do well in your coaching at, at Calabasas High School there. I know you're coaching with my son-in-law, uh, Meyer Linter. Yes. Um, so I wish you all the best and 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 keep kicking butt. And, and remember, never surrender, buddy. Never, man. Well, he's a brilliant dude, man. I've been enjoying coaching with him. He is Thank a brilliant you. dude. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he is, man. Well, right. you're a lucky dude. Well, thanks for doing it, thanks man. Everybody. And uh, I'll see you next time because we'll have yeah, you back for sure. sure. All right. Thank you. All right, man. See you, buddy.